and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. We love games. We love each other. Who are we? Well, I'm Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined by Chris Dow. Still life with onions. And you guessed it, we're only chatting about video games. That's it. Announcement! Announcement! Hey, listenership! You like video games, this is a given, and I can infer that if you're listening to this episode, you may well like how we talk about said video games as well. Now, this show has always been a labour of love, and we have no intentions of stopping your scheduled Monday programming anytime soon. But now that we are ancient men with responsibility lists as long as our collective arms, we'd love for more of you to support the show to help us be able to keep doing this as long as possible. There are two easy ways to do just that. If you go to o3c.games support, you'll find links to support us monetarily, either via rolling Patreon subscription or a one-off PayPal donation. Financial contribution helps take the edge off of things like hosting charges, like subscriptions to the applications we use to record and edit each and every episode, and even sometimes equipment that helps the show sound as crystal clear and pin sharp as we hope it does. In return for pledging a few dollar dollar bills, you'll get a bunch of extras all listed on the aforementioned Patreon page. The second way you can support us is by reviewing, rating or sharing the podcast. We can do our best to promote what we do until the metaphorical cows come home, but our efforts will always pale into comparison to an honest to goodness review from one of you lovely lot that says, yeah, I like what they're doing. We love putting the show together. We love talking to one another. And above all, we love video games please consider doing your bit to help us continue this loving. So we are back. Uh, thank you for bearing with us as we went on holiday. Chris went on holiday to Wales. So I, I went as far away as possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not, not quite true. And indeed, there was a very nice overlap where I did get to see your lovely face in person. Oh, that's uh, great. It was lovely. It was lovely. And then I went away for a week. I went to Denmark and uh, had a, well, a wonderful fat time. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to catch up with each other about what we've been playing in the last couple of weeks. And then, uh, yeah, next week we'll resume business as ordered, which is with our Playdate update. Stay tuned for now. What are you buying? What are you playing? Chris, what have you played (laughs) in the last two weeks? (laughs) I've been playing Chocobo GP again. Of course you bloody have, mate. Of course you bloody have. You bloody love Chocobos. You love them. It's really good. Chocobo GP, in winding down its season pass system, is now just a really brilliant kart racer. And all of the content is unlockable using the currency you earn in-game. And there is no longer even a way to make microtransaction purchases. There's no longer a microtransaction store. You cannot spend any money on this title after you've grabbed either the digital or physical game. So every single piece of content, cosmetic or otherwise, that I was bemoaning just a few episodes ago that I thought had been lost to season passes of yore are now back in the in-game currency store. You just play races and you unlock the stuff you want slowly and gradually. If you pick up Chocobo GP today, you're getting a game with a silly single-player story mode. You've got a tournament mode with about a billion cups a la Mario Kart. You've got a really robust time trial mode with staff ghosts to challenge for currency. And you've still got the functioning online 64-player GP mode. That's still there. You just don't get the season rewards it had before. As far as I can understand, I think this is lasting pretty much indefinitely until it's not financially viable to leave 
the computer turned on that runs it. <laughs> it just doesn't have, like I said, the gated content that was in the first five seasons over the last year or so. When this came out, it was a six out of 10 game. You know, I, I won't lie. It appealed to me because I like that sort of thing, but I could see the online criticisms. And I said as much really when I first brought it up on the show that it was imperfect. It had a lot of things that needed kind of tweaking and looking at. When they first changed the microtransactions to be largely unnecessary, it was then a seven out of 10 game. I think it mm. stepped up straight away. And now, as it's been pretty much shorn of all of this online pressure, I think it's a nine plus. I absolutely love it. I played the GP mode for a good three or four hours one day during the half term, not to unlock anything particular, just because it's fun and I'm quite good at it. <laughs> like in that afternoon, I won three tournaments and every victory felt well earned, like proper fist in the air stuff, because it is just a cutesy kart racer, but it's a racing game that has a bit of strategy to it. You need to understand its boost system properly. You need to understand that you use the brake sometimes, which you don't always have to in most Mario Kart Cups. So it's not just a press A to win thing like Mario Kart would be on 50cc. You do need to consider what you're doing. When viewed against other kart races, it's not the tippiest, toppiest tier like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, because of course it isn't. But I think this is honestly the second best kart racer on the Switch, I would say. And considering it's now available at most brick and mortar retail stores for like 12 quid, I, yeah. I really do implore those who enjoy a cutesy racer to consider picking it up because worst case scenario, put it in the bin, you haven't lost that much <laughs> <laughs> or give it to a friend who might enjoy it more than you. But yeah, I really love it. I really love it. Now that it has totally sort of incorporated all of the, you know, like you said, the, the previously timed reward stuff now that it's done that i'm much 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 more likely to play yeah. it yeah. Uh, or to, to buy it because you know yeah I, I like a kart racer i like a good kart racer i have actually been enjoying the mario kart 8 dx booster pass course pass pack slack <laughs> i i only i caught up with the last couple of waves just recently and it is nice getting more content especially yeah. seeing the creative way they've sort of approached some of the older stages it isn't just a quick cash in it's 90% not a quick cash in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's fine. There's something therapeutic about doing Mario Kart. And now that you can get everything, like you said, it's just slowly, gradually making your way through, getting everything, enjoying the online stuff. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it. I'll keep an eye out for it. Yeah, next time you're sitting on like a war chest of credit at Game or CEX. Ooh. Yeah. Have a look. Like I said, it's, it's not very expensive. So I would I would say give it a go. Well, I have not been playing a cutesy racer. In fact, it's not cutesy in the slightest what I've been playing. And I, I did actually play this the week before I went on holiday. I think I said at the end of the last episode that I'd uh, picked up the Callisto Protocol. Oh, Dead Space, but not Dead Space. Absolutely. You did. Absolutely. You did mention it. Uh, yeah, I completed it. It's not a long game, about seven hours, eight hours maybe. And it does a lot of things really well. It's got really good design and atmosphere. It looks really good, but yeah, it's barely got an original bone in its body or out of its body or an original bone shattered into chunks and sprayed all over the walls. Uh, but there's <laughs> there's lots of fun jump scares. I know that's a contradiction in terms for you, Chris. I don't enjoy them. I mean, I don't, I don't generally, if they feel cheap, there was this one time when I was opening a chest, like the equivalent of a chest, and the camera just slowly just sort of adjusted itself into a nice frame as I was opening it. And I thought, ooh, this would be a good place for a jump scare. Then it didn't come. Mm. And then it came. Ah. <laughs> and that was quite fun. The graphics are really quite stunning. It's not surprising, given just how much 
loading time is in the game. And I know I bang on about this sort of thing a lot. <laughs> You've been spoiled, haven't you? You've been spoiled I, well, by games bit. without. But it, it can afford to render just the very, very best stuff in these moments because they are so contained. Yeah. There's a lot of squeezy moments to mask loading times. Every single bloody door you have to open by hammering triangle to force it open. There's lots of crawling through vents, plenty of quick time moments and bits where the control is taken away from you. But I, honestly, I didn't I didn't mind it as much as I thought I would. And I think that's down to a couple of things. Uh, one is that the game is really, really linear. So it feels like those bits are taking me in one direction and I don't have to worry about going through them several times to go back and forth, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Although there was this one section where if you got caught in this one trap, it was to like an instant kill. And the reload point was just before a reasonably long, squeezy, squeezy section. And I ended up having to do that a few times, which was a cunt. But also yeah. those type of slow, squeezy, claustrophobic moments, they're a classic horror trope. So they don't jar as much as they do in something like God of War, yeah. which is meant to be vast and expansive. So it feels really just constrained having to squeeze through a tiny little rock crevice in the middle of a really epic vista. Yeah. Yeah. But Callisto Protocol is Dead Space. As I said before, it's it's the same director. I don't know whether it was a marketing move for like EA to remaster Dead Space to compete directly with it, which feels just quite spiteful against the director in many ways. Yeah, I, th I think in production it ended up being that Callisto Protocol, they had to rush to market to beat the Dead Space remake at the end of it. Yeah. So yeah. There, was, there was a weird competition going on there from one angle at least. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be the way, if it's not a direct remake, it's going to be, you know, a similar other thing or just just simply another game. But even if it wasn't being released in direct comparison, the tropes of Dead Space, they're so iconic that they're blindingly noticeable in this game. Like, you know, yeah. you've got your health meter on your back. You've got your stasis powers, albeit by a, a different name. The camera perspective and the general aesthetic is very, very similar. There's no HUD like in Dead Space. But then... There are some dead space elements that feel deliberately not used. Like there's no mapping system in the game. So you don't have that augmented reality wayfinder, which I really, really liked. I mean, like I said, the game is incredibly linear. There aren't like side quests or exploration to be had really, aside from like, you know, a couple of secret areas to find. But it did make the place where I was exploring, it did make it feel less sort of tangible because I couldn't see it on a map. Yeah. And I think I've said before, I've got a terrible sense of direction and navigation and just any sort of just sense of where I am. And I think it would have helped sort of make these areas feel more joined up, even though it was going in one direction. I think that would have helped. Yeah. But there's an element of Dead Space I really, really enjoyed was finding audio logs scattered around the spaceship. And then they play out loud as you continue to explore the spaces, which then provides a sufficiently creepy backdrop to the environment you're in. It's like really good narrative layering. Yeah. But... In Callisto, you find audio logs, but you can only listen to them by pausing and going into a menu. Uh, okay. <laughs> and that is so fucking daft because event I didn't listen to any of them because I wanted to play the game. <laughs> yeah. And it just feels like an active choice not to do it, which is a real shame. Or like the environmental tutorials, like in the first Dead Space where you find your first weapon, the sort of laser cutter thing, above it on the wall is scrawled in blood cut off their limbs giving you a clue as to how to deal with enemies <laughs> yeah whereas in callisto protocol i mean there's literally an identical moment to this you go into a space and you uh you see uh, shoot the tentacles daubed on the wall in crimson <laughs> really yeah, yeah yeah literally and then a tentacled mutated enemy appears 
But then when you kill him, a big old tutorial screen pops up and it just breaks down exactly what you've just done and why. Shoot the tentacles. And it just sort of defeats the point. Yeah. And like this, this hudless display conceit generally doesn't work as well in this game because of how it handles the, the weapons in the game. I found like to switch between your guns, you're just shown a little outline of the guns in a scroll menu to pick from. But I'm not a gun aficionado. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, like a lot of gamers <laughs> who can identify like a 0.1 solar reacted lead case rifle gimp from the lesser used 0.2 chrome adhesive barrel scope <laughs> gobwank from the distance of 50 feet. So they all look the fucking same because they yeah. all just look like guns. And gun. it meant in, yeah, gun. <laughs> and it meant in the heat of a fight where ammo is pretty scarce, I wouldn't know what gun I was selecting or what ammo I had for any of them. I mean, maybe that's a me problem. Yeah, maybe I need to just like swat up on my guns. <laughs> this Christmas, when we do our Secret Santa thing, I'll, I'll get you a. Get you get me a gun. Uh, no, I'll get you a, a membership oh. to the, the National Rifle Association. Brilliant. Perfect. <laughs> do you know what? Here's an interesting bit of fact that I found out today whilst I was waiting in the Royal Mail sorting office in Cardiff. I was having a little look at some of the things you were and weren't allowed to send through Royal Mail. Yeah. Surprisingly, you can send guns for sporting use. <laughs> okay. Do you know what you can't send? Batteries. You can't send batteries. Also, yeah. you can't send ammunition. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which... I guess means it's safe to send the gun. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, when you get away, the gun, yeah. do you then have to go to your local gun emporium to get Probably. the bullets? Probably. I mean, maybe it is a way of keeping it safe because it's like, oh, are you going to send this knife? It's like, yep, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Can I also send it with a murderer? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's silly as well because when, when you do go to the post office, like I, I sell a lot of stuff on eBay. They often ask that, oh, what's in the package? And then yeah. once you say it's, oh, it's a game, it's a DVD or whatever, then yeah. they don't care. But they don't check either. No, exactly. So, so, you know, I could say, no, it's not a gun. It's not a loaded gun. And they'd go, no bullets, yeah, in, in the gun you're shipping. And I'd be like, oh, no, wouldn't put bullets in there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, they yeah. don't scan it. It just goes in the box. And... I bought some batteries for my camera. I bought some guns. <laughs> I bought some, I've just bought some guns. Downstairs, <laughs> Sammy's doing a little Morrison shop now. I'll see if they've got... <laughs> Well, the ammunition, preferably, because you can get the gun through the post. Exactly, exactly. I bought some batteries, some camera batteries, and they ended up being the wrong ones. And I was like, okay, can I do a return? And they were like, yep, you can do a return. We'll send you the label to print off. So I printed off the label, and the label came printed with the thing being like, oh, it contains batteries or whatever, whatever, whatever. I was like, great, that's really good. I don't need to worry about that. So I slapped it on, took it to the post office, and they're like, yeah, you can't send this because it says it's got batteries in it. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I know. (laughs) So how, how do you return it then? I did not return it. I threw it in the bin. Because that's that's how good it was for me. Modern living. I wish I'd thrown it in the bin in that post office, just to make a point. I'd be like, I can't, can I not? Okay, thanks. Thanks. And then push Nora out, just being like, sorry, we can't afford that dinner tonight. (laughs) Because Mr. Post Office wouldn't allow the return. Yeah. Combat in Callisto Protocol gets... (laughs) I'm leaving all of that in. Combat in Callisto does get quite clunky in the latter half of the game. I think I said this about Dead Space as well as like the Resident Evil games. Inevitably, the later you get on, the more sort of action-orientated it gets. But because changing between guns and stuff is also really, really slow as well as really unclear... Also, the camera is aggressively close to your character, which does make for really, really cool and gory kills. 
yeah. but it does mean that you can see fuck all when you're swamped by enemies and when the game then starts throwing more and more enemies at you at the same time it just stops being fun and also i feel this could be me being cynical but i feel that the close camera is also a tactic for masking loading too because it means you see just just a bit less of the environment at all be. times and i can just envisage the dev team just every single week of development just moving the camera closer <laughs> and closer and closer to being like can we still get away with this can we still get away with this mm. just looking over his ear through like a small small portion of a window exactly there is some stealth stuff in the game, which I thought was like a really, really good fun way to change up the combat from Dead Space. But it, it doesn't really work that well because it's not very clear which enemies can be snuck up upon and also what the parameters are of what like the blind infected enemies are. Yeah. Because when you do a stealth kill, you make an unbelievable amount of noise that apparently another enemy standing a yard from you can't hear yeah but if you dare to stand up and walk one footstep it's like you're walking with clown shoes <laughs> because it quickly draws the attention of everything in the vicinity so it, it would have been nice if that aspect of the gameplay had been developed a bit further as a way of making this game stand apart a bit more from dead space because like i like the idea of trying to do like a zero guns run of the game just using the prison shank you get at the start of the game that would be really really fun like, I didn't really mind that the game was quite short. There was a point in Dead Space where it starts to become quite silly with how many more things could go wrong in your plan to escape. Because, like, yeah. around about the four-hour mark, you're on to, like, a pretty decent escape plan. Then that goes wrong. Then plan B goes wrong. Plan C through Q continue to go <laughs> wrong. Whereas yeah. in Callisto Protocol, yeah, your plans still get foiled and there's twists and turns, but it feels a little bit more plausible with it happening over a shorter space of time. I mean, obviously not that any of this is plausible at all, but it is a fun story. Like I, I like a bit of a horror twist on my sci-fi because, you know, I feel that sci-fi as a genre unlocks plenty of really interesting horror stories that you wouldn't be able to do outside of sci-fi. And yeah. these sort of like Event Horizon, B-movie styling work well enough here as they did in Dead Space. And they're, they're clearly setting up for sequels, which if they do and they're not disasters, then I'll probably play. May well be developed then solely for next-gen consoles, and it'd be interesting to see if that opens up sort of more avenues for how they approach the game. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have played it. But I'm also glad that I only paid about 20 quid for it. Yeah. Because I got it. I managed to pick it up pre-owned rather than full price brand new. But yeah, a soft recommend. Softly, softly. Have you played anything else, Chris? I've played one other thing. Of course you have. And the other thing I've played, I have played for many hours over the last week or so. <laughs> because uh, Theatre Rhythm, Final Bar Line, finally came out. Ah, yes. Fin course. Final Fantasy Rhythm game. I think I mentioned being excited for this game at the end of 2022, maybe. I'm sure at some point it was on a list of upcoming mm. releases. And I went, oh, because I didn't realise it was even in development. I hadn't kept up at all. Yeah. But I genuinely loved the two 3DS entries, despite not having much interest in the more traditional RPGs of the Final Fantasy series. Because Theat Rhythm, as the name kind of implies, is a rhythm game. It's got light RPG elements that draws from basically 35 years of Final Fantasy music and compositions. And you play Final Fantasy tracks whilst the little party you've assembled fights monsters on screen. And it's very fun. It feels very good to play. And it's very addictive. It's also one of the most content-rich rhythm games I've hmm. ever played yeah. on, on any machine. Like the first game on the 3DS launched with, I think about 70-odd tracks, and that was made up to about 100 with DLC, and it felt stuffed. Like I played it for 30-odd hours, had a great time, nowhere near finishing it. 
The second game, which was subtitled Curtain Call, as if this was like the last in the series, launched with a little over 200 tracks, and then DLC took that close to 300. And again, never got close to getting near the end of that in the 50 or 60 hours I played it for. Final Bar Line launches with almost 400 music tracks as standard. Jesus. And with the season pass over the next few months, it will take it over 500. And we'll have songs then from pretty much every Final Fantasy or Final Fantasy adjacent game or series, plus a whole host of other Square Enix properties like Nier, Romancing Saga, Live Alive, Chrono Trigger, The World Ends With You. Like the list is bonkers, honestly. Octopath Traveler? It might be in there. I can't remember. Ooh. It may be at some point in the future because that's obviously a big square thing now as well. The sequel having released yeah. just a day or two ago at time of recording. Yeah, yeah. The, the copy on my desk confirms that. <laughs> One thing that helps this game be as good as it is, is that this is pretty outstanding music as well, pretty much across the board. Yeah. Like almost every track is great fun to listen and play through. And you've got, you know, themes from the NES games that are all lovingly mixed and mastered with their more crunchy chip tune. And then later you'll have even more fun playing reorchestrated versions from when those games were remastered, like for the PSP and mobile and things like that. So you've got kind of a throwback to itself kind of thing, which is really nice within the same game. Yeah. I've also quite enjoyed like hearing themes I vaguely recognize, mm. you know, because like I said, I'm not a Final Fantasy person, but I've tried to play a few classic Final Fantasy games over the years. Chocobo GP obviously has a lot of Final Fantasy music in it, like sort of spruced up versions of those tracks. And even like via Smash Bros, because Cloud's in there, isn't he? So of course, there's, yeah, there's yeah, a whole yeah, bunch yeah. in there. So it all feels surprisingly nostalgic, even though these are not my games, as it were, mm. you know? Cutely, as well, when you beat a stage, you get a remixed version of the classic end of battle theme from most of the Final Fantasy games. You know, the one that goes... Oh, yeah. That one. How does it go again, sorry? <laughs> Georgia came home the other day, and despite having never played a Final Fantasy game in her life, recognised this jingle from it being used in Chocobo, and then, and then danced <laughs> along with it. Like, the, oh, the, whole, the whole soundtrack is stunning, really. Yeah. No matter your mood, there is something to get stuck into as well, because you've got the 8-bit stuff, you've got the multi-million dollar scores that were written for like online-only Final Fantasy fourteen that's been running for 60 years at this point. Yeah. You've got weird, crude, mid-2000s, almost new metal remixes of Final Fantasy seven stuff that went alongside, I think, the PSP game Crisis Core, that again, okay, yeah. got remastered very, very recently for all platforms. I've heard Rio-style carnival songs in there. I've heard Spanish flamenco. Mm. I've heard stupid slapstick, almost Mickey Mousing pieces from some of the SNES entries that was probably like, oh, market theme or something like that. Yeah. And I've still got, what, like 450 songs I haven't touched yet. <laughs> like, Incredible. It's, it's stupid. I mean, the biggest compliment I think I can pay this game is that it makes me want to go back and play Final Fantasy games. Wow. Because the world building and the suggestion of storytelling that you get in the stage modes of Theatre Rhythm, where you're taking your little chibi characters from each game through like a truncated musical retelling of the games, is mm. just really, it's really like appetizing. It's really enticing. Mm. I would say listeners out there in the world, don't be put off Theatre Rhythm if you're not a Final Fantasy head. Because I couldn't be less of an RPG guy, and I am lapping it up. <laughs> and also, don't be put off either by it being a rhythm game. If you know, lots of people just are not into music games. I know Minty always said he would want to be, yeah, but just didn't have the skills. But I think you can be a real novice and still enjoy it because every chart in the game can be played on an easy difficulty. 
and you don't really feel shortchanged. They're still quite engaging. You can simplify that even further by changing the basic charts to a simple one button chart, which again means that almost anyone can pick up and have a go at. That's really good. You can even share inputs between two Joy-Cons with a friend and kind of do like half and half on a track. So kind of like a co-op mode for every track in the whole game that again might just take the sting out of a tough stage if it's something that you weren't quite equipped for. Yeah. I was mildly worried in picking this up that in migrating the game from the touchscreen 3DS to consoles like the PS4, as well as the Switch, obviously, because that's why I bought this. I was a bit concerned it would lose some of its charm because the earlier games were all stylus driven yeah. for kind of the, the rhythm input. But once I got used to how inputs work and attract, I am all in on the extra precision <laughs> of just having buttons now and an analog yeah. stick that means you have more control. Like there's only really two main types of notes. You've got single hits, which can be triggered using any face or shoulder button. Sometimes you might need to press a couple at the same time. So you choose the fingers that feel best for you. And then you have slide notes, which require either a single flick of an analog stick or a held input, which follows like a wavy line as it travels up and down. You're just kind of guiding your analog stick along it. Mm. Easier tracks will stick to a simple line of either notes or slides, but then harder difficulties and tougher musical charts Combine these so that you may be holding one button and then playing accents using another or hitting a pattern using button inputs as your thumb is guiding the analog stick on a little kind of undulating journey. It took like a few tracks for me to decide how I placed my fingers. But once I found the setup that felt best for me, I have not put this game down. That's all I've played this week, essentially, over the last seven or so days. The online mode is also absolutely outstanding. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't even remember if the earlier entries... Has a multiplayer mode. It's competitive, right? Yeah, yeah, it's competitive. You've got a whole host of online modes in Final Barline. You've got ones that are ranked and unranked, so you can just mess about if you want, or you can play to kind of compete, as it were. You've got a vanilla mode whereby you're just competing to play a song better than the other connected players. But it also has a burst mode, it's called, which is where if you hit a successful chain of notes, then it will throw like status effects at other players. And that can be really fun as well. Like knowing that you've summoned a big fat chocobo to cover half of their note track or to send over like disappearing note triggers. That means you have to feel the rhythm rather than seeing the visuals or sometimes like chucking out false inputs that are marked subtly differently to try and throw you off your stride. It's all really, really good. And winning on the last held note by like just a handful of points feels amazing. Yeah. But also winning by a huge margin whilst playing a track like the bombing run song from Final Fantasy VII made me feel like a hero. It's, it's just <laughs> such rousing music to play along yeah. to. There is so much to do and unlock and beat here. This could be my Binding of Isaac, honestly. Oh, wow, It's yeah. just an obscene amount to get through. Like, if you just want to beat the game series mode by playing through, say, all of the tracks associated with the games you liked most, so Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever, that's going to take you a good while. Maybe at that stage, you want to then try and beat the optional mission objective that every track carries in this mode, which might be beating it with a certain character or score, dealing a certain amount of damage to enemies, like stuff like that. But then for the completionists, oh, this could be the only thing you ever play again. Yeah. You know, if, if you shave the edges and say that there are 500 tracks in this game, everyone's got at least three difficulty modes with about half of those tracks then having a fourth, even tougher note chart as well. So if there was nothing else to do other than to try and beat the songs, you're looking at 1,750 songs to play through. Yeah, that's dumb. It's silly. Like maybe, <laughs> you're, maybe you're content just to try and beat them. That's fine. But then maybe you want to try and full combo each one. Maybe you want to try an all critical track, meaning that you've hit every single note perfectly in time. Maybe if you're an absolute madman, 
you want to max your score for every track and aim for 9,999,999 points on every one because they all have a they all have a cap maybe you want to collect all of the thousands of unlockable art cards that are given for overall progression points or by beating players online maybe you want to try and max the level of all of the 100 plus party characters you unlock in the game it's just a staggeringly generous music game package maybe the best on the system certainly the best i've played in many years and it's February the 26th, as we record this, to timestamp this. This is already in contention for my game of the year. Like, I absolutely love it. And I'm going to be a dick and state that, for me at least, after these last few weeks, my two favourite Final Fantasy games are absolutely Chocobo GP and Theatre Rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> like, there goes half of the Patreon. <laughs> I did order off the back of this a copy of the Pixel Remasters of Final Fantasy 1 through 6, I think, which is coming out on the Switch. Oh, yeah. It, it will arrive later in the year because Square Enix kind of botched their storefront job, didn't print enough copies. Now I've had to order an Asian one that will launch later or whatever else. But I'm interested to play them because I'm now yeah. becoming more and more kind of interested just in the music and feeling and vibe of the Final Fantasy worlds, I suppose. But even if they somehow end up being all-timers for me and suddenly change my mind massively on all RPGs, <laughs> I just don't see them topping the fun I've had with these two games. They are my genres. You know, I like stupid racing games. I like rhythm games. I like you. Have you played any Final Fantasy related games? <laughs> I have not played any Final Fantasy related games. Oh, uh, I'm sad to say. But shame. I have played one other thing. And it was the only thing I played when I was away in Denmark. Even though I did take my play date with me. Because I, I played nothing but my play date last time I was in Denmark. Yeah. I did take it with me. But uh, I played this new game that's released on Apple Arcade called Farmside. Oh. Is it a farming game? It's a farming game. Now, Farmside is something I didn't know I wanted as much as I did, because essentially what it is, is your textbook freemium farming game, like Farmville or Heyday or Township, all of which I plugged many hours, pounds into. <laughs> yeah. But because Farmside is on Apple Arcade, it's got no microtransactions or anything like that at all. But it's also crucially different from other premium sort of farming or life sim games because a lot of those just let you do whatever you want from the start which i then find a bit daunting and requires just a bit too much effort to think about like what i'm meant to do the farm side has got this balance really really right because it's got all the things that make those freemium farming games so satisfying and addictive with like short-term goals wait timers on crafting growing long-term goals customization and all sorts of unlocks as you progress further and further through the game in many ways, it's like Animal Crossing because it paces these unlocks and developments and new features really well throughout the game so that you've always got something to aim for. You've always got something to do and you've always got something to look forward to. I don't know much about the developer, but it has been published by Team 17, oh, okay. which I think must have really, really helped with getting the balancing issues right because, you know, often solely independently developed games don't get the testing they necessarily need to get the pacing right. But there's also plenty of space for them to develop the game even further with like, iterative updates, which I'm sure will come in time because at the moment there's a level cap and you sort of stop unlocking things and there's a quaint little story weaving everything together, which I, I haven't paid that much attention to because I just want to grow things and craft things and tick things off lists. But yeah. the story's not being rammed down your throat either. So it's there if you want it because it's so sort of vague you're developing this community there's some colorful characters they, they can always write more story if they want to develop you know the game and have updates and things and all kinds of stuff but it, it was just a really lovely 
companion to have like on my latest trip to Denmark didn't make me feel like I needed to to check in every five minutes like a freemium game does with notifications and being like oh shit I've got to do this before like you know the end of the day so I've got to do this and blah 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 blah. so it meant that like I could enjoy the game in my downtime not feel like I'm missing out on anything in the game yeah and we were staying on this lovely little farm in Denmark as well. So that was just a nice, a nice little accompaniment. I'll probably keep playing it till I hit the level cap for now and then keep an eye out for any updates that may come. But yeah, I'm really glad that this game's been made because it's allowed me to get that freemium farming fix, but in a safe environment. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And in the meantime, as I said, I've just got Octopath Traveler 2. It's just arrived. And I'm actually quite excited to play it. I say actually, like it's a surprise, but then I know my recent track record of getting things like Xenoblade, Bayonetta, Mario and Rabbids is I've got them, I've started playing them, and then I've sort of ended up just putting them on the pile for a bit. But I feel like I'm in the mood for Octopath. So yeah, that should be good. That should be good. I'm looking forward to it. So yes, I will be getting my Final Fantasy-esque fix. Yeah. Adjacent, isn't it? Adjacent. 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 (laughs) So there we go. That's what we've been playing on our holidays. What have you been playing on your holidays? Let us know by getting in touch with us. We're on social media at O3C Games on everything. Next week, we will be picking up our play dates and telling you how we've got on with Saturday Edition and Star Sled, the latest two games that we're covering in the play dates first season. I'm really looking forward uh, to getting into those. And of course, we'll be updating you with what we've been playing in the last week as well. No, in the next week, in the in the all. In the coming... In the coming past week is the thing. Yes, it's both, isn't it? It's both. At time of recording, it's future. At time of release, it's past. You can reach out to us individually if you like. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. Chaz underscore Hodges is my house on the internet. And we will see you here next week, please. Yes, please.